Well, it's the first of the year. How's your, how's your new year going so far? Man, three of you had a really good time this week. So, um, yeah. I, 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 I was doing some reading this week, and I noticed that, you know, the one thing we hear a lot about is New Year's resolutions. One article that I read, it said that um, 34% of U.S. adults are going to make a New Year's resolution or set an important goal. And then what I found so interesting was the age breakdown in this, in this topic. For instance, people who are 30 years and under, 52% of the 30-year-olds and under are planning to make a New Year's resolution. From 30 to 44 years, only 44% plan to have a New Year's resolution. If you're 45 to 64, your group, I, I don't know if, that, if that's you out there, some of you are there, For, 45 to 64, 27% will make a New Year's resolution, and 65 and older, I'm telling you, only 18% are making resolutions and setting goals. I mean, what's up with that? The older we get, the less we're inclined to change, improve, and make things better? Wow, that's a commentary. It's very interesting how it is the younger group. You know, the one thing is for sure is this. By the time you and I get to New Year 2025, we will not be the same as we are today. The one thing that is constant is change. You're gonna be different by next year. But what kind of different is up to you? Your habits, your focuses, your goals, all of those things will shape the you you will become by New Year's of 2025. I think of all the New Year's resolutions that you could have, of all of the efforts you could put forward, the most influential and life-changing effort would be what we as a church are launching today. And that is we are calling the church to 21 days of prayer and fasting. I mean 21 days. Let's begin today where we will have a certain place, a certain time, and, and we will specifically seek God and pray. I, I, I'm, I'm asking you to go beyond the drive-by prayer on the way to work. Now, I think you should do that too. But for 21 days, get a spot, have an appointment, and seek the Lord in prayer for 21 days. Be in his presence. Invite him to influence your life, to lead you, to guide you. It, it will shape you more than you can, you can imagine. The other thing we're calling our church to do is to fast. I've had many people ask me, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means anything you want it to mean, honestly. I mean, the basic understanding is that you will choose a time in the next 21 days where you will fast. Maybe you're gonna fast Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Maybe, maybe you're gonna fast one day during these 21 days. Maybe you're gonna establish a single meal that is a fast you will do every week. Maybe during the 21 days and, and for instance, afterwards. I mean, we don't often think about fasting but Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, interrupt the natural uh, routines of life by stop 
Don't eat that meal. Uh, Stop your social media for a week. Don't watch any movies for a week. I know in my family there are some who have deleted their social media apps from their phone. What are they doing? They're interrupting their regular routine. Because by interrupting that regular routine and seeking the Lord, we, we, we might be able to hear him in a way we haven't been able to hear him. So I want us to go to Luke 11, and we're going to begin in verse 1 and go all the way to 13. I chose this passage because at the end of Jesus teaching them how to pray, he tells us that there is something we should be praying for that probably is not on our list. So let's begin. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, I want to just stop there. He was in a certain place. Did you see that? Get your place. His disciples observed, oh, there's Jesus. He's going there again. He's praying. So it was something that was a part of his life. He was, went to a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to play, pray. It's interesting that Jesus, by his <clears throat> example, created a hunger inside of the disciples. They saw Jesus praying. They saw that it was important to him. <clears throat> and so they, they, they were asking Jesus, we want to do that too. I want to do that too. So, first point. We must desire to grow and change. Do you have a desire to grow and change? As you go through 2024, are are you desiring to be a, a different, better, closer to God? Have okay, that's the first thing that has to happen. You know, I'm I'm just gonna say that um, if you sit home and you play video games all day long, or you know, sit on your couch and binge Netflix all day long. I don't know that you're gonna get up the next morning and go out and say, boy, I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. Now, for all of you who love video games, enjoy. But it's probably not the only thing you need to be doing. What we need to do is we need to create environments and situations where we grow. In fact, we do this all the time. Our kids, we, we send them to school or develop a homeschool curriculum, and we put them through the rigors of education. Education is not always fun. I mean, who, who loves quizzes and tests and 10-page research papers footnoted appropriately? I mean, who loves that? I, I don't know that I meet many students, no matter if they're in the first grade or if they're in graduate school who say, man, I'm so glad I get to have an exam. I'm so glad I got to write this 25-page paper with footnotes. No, you know what? These things are not designed to be fun. They are designed to create growth within us. And sometimes we've got to push through what is not easy. Everybody loves recess, right? Everybody loves a snack. But the rigors of education the difficulty in our life are opportunities for us to grow. In fact, I think that God 
has put us all in school. God's educational program for us is life itself. In life, you're going to be hurt, confused. You're going to be broke. You're going to make mistakes and feel guilty. You're going to get tired. And, and, and you know what God wants? He says, I want to use all of those difficult things in your life to grow you because I see something in you. I, I believe in you. I've got stuff for you to do. I want you to be everything I designed you to be. Even in church environments, we create times for people to grow, but you're gonna have to get up and come to church and be here and sit through the service. You're gonna have to go to your Sunday school class or your small group. You know, we have an institute in which we have an internship program. It costs these people that are in the, as an intern, you work, you work for free, you have a schedule, you have to maintain that schedule. Why, why in the world do students do that? I love our interns and our residents. They do that. They give and they work. Why? Because they intentionally have put themselves in an environment where they will, will, where they will grow. If you sign up for Night to Shine and you come and you serve, whether it's being part of the paparazzi, whether it's serving food, it's sweeping the floor, being a buddy to one of our guests, um, you, I mean, I promise you, you can bust the best dance moves you have and feel right at home. But you won't be as good as they are. I, I, know, know, I know that from experience. Why should you serve? Because it's in those environments that we, we, we grow. Our God, the creator and sustainer of all life, who came to this world and went to a cross, decided that he absolutely had to spend time in prayer. It wasn't a burden, it was a joy. His time in prayer was life-giving and empowering. And sometimes we look at prayer like it's just a chore. And you know what, I think if you will, if you will commit yourself to 21 days of prayer and fasting, you're gonna have a different perspective. You may have to wade through the first 12 or 14 days. Wade through it, stay commitment, stay, stay true to your commitment to do that. God is going to work in our lives. Do, do, do you know how God works in our lives? If you want more patience, do you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna bring some unreasonable people into your life. And you might be complaining, God, why are these people around me? He says, I'm, you're welcome. I'm showing you how to be more patient because they're so unreasonable. If, if, if you want to be more loving, you know what God's going to do? He's going to bring people around you that are really hard to love. They're not so lovable. But in the process of learning to love the unlovable people in your life, you begin to practice love. God is gonna help you overcome your anger. You know how? He's, he's gonna bring people around you that will exasperate you and you're gonna wanna be angry and he's gonna teach you instead to be long-suffering and patient and gentle. The, the first thing though is we have to have an attitude where we wanna grow, we wanna change. Number two, in this passage, Jesus teaches 
his disciples how to pray. And I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard before. <clears throat> I have chosen Luke's passage of teaching the Lord's Prayer because of how it ends. But let's go to what he, Jesus has to say. He said, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. <clears throat> Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each the, the food we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And my recommendation is, if you're gonna pray, you might as well follow the template of Jesus, right? And so vocalize, say out loud, in your certain place of prayer, these things. And the first thing is, you're gonna say, um, may your name be kept holy. And as you say that out loud, what in the world does that mean? Why do we, I, I don't really use those words in ordinary conversation. So what does this mean when I kneel before God and say, God, may your name be kept holy? You know what, this is what this means. And it's important for us to unpack this and even probably put it into more words. Like, God, may your name be kept holy. So, God, what I am acknowledging is that above all the people and ideas and things in this world, you, oh, Father, are the greatest. You are the creator and the ruler of the universe. We need to recite these things. You are a God most high. You have all authority and all power. It was by your words that this world was created. And so we start by remembering God. You are the infinite, infinite, all-powerful God who created all things. I bow before you, and in this moment, I feel beautifully small. You know when we remember how big and powerful God is? all of a sudden it puts our immediate problem in perspective. To be beautifully small in the presence of an almighty sovereign God whose name should be hallowed or set apart, but who is also the God who is the most loving, compassionate, merciful kind and good being you could ever approach. Oh my goodness, you just need to be in this moment for a minute and, and when you pray, recite these things. Second, your kingdom come. When a king comes from a faraway country, you know what he comes to do? He comes to conquer. So when we are praying, Lord, your kingdom come, you know what we're really saying is, God, you're the king of all. I want your kingdom to come. I acknowledge you are the king and I am not. You are God and I am not. Some of our greatest anxieties come because we get confused and think that we are the center of the world. We are the ruler of all things, that the world should revolve around us and we're in charge. And none of that is true. And so when we say your kingdom come, what we do is we make ourselves uh, a subject to the king who has saved us and blessed us and we invite him to tell us what to do. 
And then there, are the, then there are three things that follow. Feed us, forgive us, protect us. Okay? Give us the food we need. That's feed us. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive. Help us to forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation. So feed us, forgive us, protect us. This is a declaration of dependence. You know, we're America. We're all about making it on our own, aren't we? Let's be independent. I don't need you. I don't. I, I think there's something good about that. I love our culture that inspires us to do and achieve. And, but sometimes we take it too far. Because here's the truth. If God doesn't feed us, we're not going to eat. I'm dependent on God. I'm, I'm dependent for him to, to feed us. Forgive me. You know, I, I love the fact that God has promised to give us our daily bread and I can trust him. I love the fact that I can trust that God will forgive me when I ask for forgiveness. I, I think the, the more specific we are, God, this week I, I sin this way, this way, and this way, and to speak it out loud in our prayer. And then to remember that we have a God who is powerful and willing and ready to forgive no matter what you've done. Psalm 103, I just love the poetry of Psalm 103. It says this, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Did you hear that? He is merciful. So when I ask for forgiveness, I have to word the thing I've done. Maybe not in great detail, but I tell him what it is, and he knows that I know, and he knows. Lord, I can trust that as I ask you to forgive me, that the Lord is merciful and gracious. Psalm 103, verse 8. Slow to anger. Praise God for that. Abounding in mercy. I mean, he doesn't just have a little bit of mercy here and there. He abounds in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those of us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as a, uh, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. So I am here to say, go back and ask for forgiveness one more time. How about every day? Because every day there's something to ask forgiveness from. And then the next thing he's gonna do is, after you've been forgiven, he's gonna say, now I'm gonna ask you to forgive the people in your life who have hurt you. And boy, anybody here wanna give a testimony about how hard that is? Forgive them? Are you kidding me, God, again? Oh my uh, these people make me so mad. They've made my life miserable. They, they've stolen and taken. And Okay, Man, I'm getting a little too passionate about that, right? I don't know how to forgive. He says, I know how. You're dependent on me for your food, for your forgiveness, and for the power for you to forgive them. 
and speak their name out loud. I don't want to use anybody's name here, so I, I, don't, I don't, you know. God, please forgive Eddie. He's so bad. Please forgive Jim. Oh, man, Jim hurt me so much. Louise, I've got to be careful. I'm not talking about anybody here. Just pull the names out of the hat. But I don't feel like forgiving them. That's fine. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. Forgive. Do good. Bless. With the power of God, we can do this. To not do this is to lock yourself into a bitterness that will eat you away. When you and I do not forgive, we diminish our capacity to love. Because you see, we're an integrated individual when we're bitter and angry and unforgiving in one area. It permeates our entire being. Have you, have you ever been around someone who's just like mad at the world? And you get to know them and they'll tell you the story about who hurt them. Awful, awful, awful story. The only way to be free is to forgive. And then, then lastly, I, I, need, I need you to deliver me from temptation. Do you know that temptation is so powerful that Adam and Eve, in the perfection of the garden, while in perfect communion with God, fell to temptation? And you and I are surprised it's such a big deal. And so now we pray God, I'm vulnerable to temptation. You know, one of my New Year's resolutions is one I've used before. I want to lose 20 pounds again. Because the only thing that is a problem for me during Christmas is all of the wonderful stuff people give me. I'm only tempted if it's on the counter. But that's often the least of our temptations. So God, I'm asking for divine help to overcome temptations. Then third, he tells a story in this passage, uh, and it, it reveals the heart of God. He kind of like, you know, tells a story because we relate to stories, right? So this is what Jesus says. Then teaching them in verse five, this is the heart of God to answer us. Then teaching them uh, more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing to, for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. I mean, it's midnight. Can you imagine that? It's midnight. Don't bother me. The door's locked uh, for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if, if you keep knocking... And long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to us? Well, I asked God and he didn't do it, so forget it. No. Oh, no, 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 no. 
Where's your shameless persistence? God, I have someone in my family I'm praying for. They're really in trouble. I don't know what to do. I've prayed for years. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to just stop praying for them. No, 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 no. You're shameless. You know what God is saying? Tell me what you need. And then he goes on. So I, verse nine, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And so Jesus is saying, you gotta pray, you gotta pray. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you, do you give them a snake instead? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's why I chose that for this passage. Because how many days and how often have you prayed for the Holy Spirit to have more influence and more presence in your life? I'm not debating the doctrine of the Holy Spirit here today. You know what, you can't get saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. And when you do get saved, he seals you to the day of redemption. But the truth is, we live our Christian lives so often ignoring the presence of the Holy Spirit. We, we're not walking in the Spirit like we've been instructed to do. We, we're not conscious of the work of the Holy Spirit. We, are, we, have, we have asked for so many other things when really the one thing, that if you ask for this one thing, you get everything else, and that is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is present and working in your life, you, he knows what to do. Our greatest need is for the Holy Spirit to learn to walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, according to Galatians, we won't satisfy the lust of the flesh. So when temptation comes to me, you know, and I pray, oh, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need, I need to walk with you now. I don't want to give in to temptation or walk down a bad path that will lock me up and destroy me. In. Sometimes we, we, we don't know how to pray because so much stuff is going on, I don't even know how to pray. In Romans 8, 26, says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Are you ever weak? You can admit it. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that, which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so we sometimes just need to pray, God, I don't even know what to ask. Holy Spirit, would you please make intercession for me? Sometimes we're, we're like so worked up about I don't know, whatever it is, losing weight, overcoming an addiction, that, that, that we're, we're all focused on that thing. And, and really what we need is we need the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
I, I love freeway ministry and I love what John Stroop says. He says, we're not here to focus on overcoming addictions. We're here to focus on learning how to walk with Jesus. That's what we need. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Everything that you and I need is found in the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And it's this incredible thing that Jesus teaches us that we can be close to God and we can, in fact, have God in us. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to go away. And they were so sad. He says, don't worry. It's good if I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And, and you know what Jesus was saying? Like, I'm here in person, and I can be with the 12 of you, but I can't be with everyone everywhere. But So what's going to happen is I'm going to go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and, and God won't be beside you. He'll be in you, and he'll transform you. And if you have the fruit of the Spirit, you know what that is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as the fruit of the Spirit expands in your life, you have everything you need. You'll be a different person by next year. Ask for the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to recommend in your prayer this year, you say, God, I want to I pray that the Holy Spirit would be I, I want to acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that you're in my life and I need you and I, I want you to fill me and I want, to, I want you to change me and I want you to do what I can't do. Uh, when I was an intern in college, I was 21 years old. I had the worst night of my life. I was afraid. I was overwhelmed. I was confused. We, we had just left a camp and we were driving back from a camp in Colorado to Lincoln, Nebraska, where we were from. I was there for the summer. I drove the church van that was the old van, mostly luggage and two or three passengers and myself. And we had a beautiful rented van that was a 15 passenger van. And, and so the other counselor and his wife, they were there with those, that group, it was full, 15 people in that van. Our pastor wanted us to be sure and drive through the night, Friday night after camp, and so we could be back early Saturday morning. He didn't want people to be late for church or... So, you know, we, we got in the van and began to drive through Colorado and then into Nebraska. Nebraska's a long state. It was dark. It was about, you know, two o'clock in the morning, and I was so sleepy. You know, if you're a camp counselor all week and then you get in the van to drive at night, you're sleepy. I flashed the lights. The guy in front of me stopped. I says, hey, listen, I'm so sleepy. Are you sleepy? He says, no, I'm not sleepy. I guess I'm the wimp here. Um, I'm just so sleepy. Here's a girl in my van who's 16 and has a license. How about if she drives for a little while so I could, I'm afraid I might fall asleep. Okay. I look back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? I'm putting a 16-year-old in the driver's seat of a... 
I was only 21, so she seemed old to me. I just dozed off to hear her scream, a blood-curdling scream. I woke up startled. She had pulled over to the side and says, what is going on? She said, look, the van in front of us took a sharp right and rolled several times. It's out there in the grain field. I got out of that. I'm now the only adult. I walked through that field and I found the, the van and I began to help pull the bloody passengers out of the van, walk past some who had been thrown out during the crash. And I didn't know what to do. I'm 21, all alone in the middle of the night in Nebraska somewhere with these kids who I love, injured and hurt, and some of them, I didn't know if they were going to make it. It wasn't long till we all ended up at the emergency room in this small hospital in the middle of Nebraska, and the doctors were coming out to me. I'm the only one who could call, and they were saying, you've got to call this kid's parents because I don't know if they're going to make it. They would come back out, hey, listen, th this one's very critical. I, I need you to call. And it was back then when you had to go like to the wall. This shows how old I am. Um, and you put coins in this machine and you made phone calls. Okay. And I was so overwhelmed. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't, I need your help. Would you please help me? Three o'clock in the morning in the small emergency room waiting area. A man walked in the door and he walked up to me because nobody walks into the emergency room at three o'clock unless they're there for a reason, right? He says, um, I'm, uh, I was called by one of the state troopers who was at the scene of the accident and um, I'm actually his pastor. And he says, you, you might could use someone to come and sit with you tonight. It's like all of a sudden God showed up. And this man was just with me. He says, I'll do whatever you need. I'll make calls. I'll answer questions. So oh, I don't have to do anything at all. I'm just going to be here. I can't tell you what his presence did to change the moment. It was still hard. It was still painful. I was still so worried about all these kids. And before I forget, nobody died, okay? I need to tell you that. Four were airlifted to a university hospital because they couldn't handle the injuries. And, and um, many of them were ugly and bloody, but they got cleaned up and they looked better. And finally, it was morning. And they said, all right, you can take all of these home now but I didn't have a vehicle to take them in. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. Now, how do I get them home? And this pastor says to me, hey, I'll drive you to Lincoln. It was about five hours. I'll take my vehicle. Okay. And so we got in the vehicles and drove and got back to the church. The parking lot was full of very traumatized families. 
And after all of the young people were home, I turned around to thank this guy and he was gone. But he was with me that night until I didn't need him really. So here's the deal. You know what we need to do? We need to ask for everything we need. Ask for bread. Ask for eggs. Ask for whatever you need. He cares. He knows you have utility bills. He knows that. But we really need to ask for the Holy Spirit's presence. Because having him beside us, actually in us, makes all the difference. Today's the first Sunday of the month, and so we're going to be sharing communion, and then we're going to have a time. We call it in a time of extended prayer, where our team will be up here in the front, and, you know, we're going to just seek the Lord, like actually seek the Lord, like get up out of your seat and come down here and pray with somebody. Or pray by yourself, whatever you need. So, um, I want to ask you to get the elements of communion, and you know, we call it. There's we we do three things as we take communion together. It's our acronym is REP. Remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, a God who loves so much, He went to a cross. And then second, we need to examine ourselves because Corinthians says that, you know, if you, before you take communion, you need to examine yourself. When are you walking with the Lord? Does something need to be corrected? This, this is not a time to shame or, or cast out anybody. It's just a time that we all need to say, okay, here it is, God, I admit it. This is, I've been pretending like you didn't know about this, but you do. And so here I am right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just examine and ask you. Forgive me and help me and I surrender. I'm dependent. And then the last thing that happens at communion is we proclaim. We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So I'm gonna invite you to stand if you will and we're gonna take communion together. And so if you'd open up the portion that has the, the bread in it, I'm going to read scripture and pray, and then we can eat together. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you hold this and say, Jesus, I remember you. Your body was broken for me, for me. And so together we say, thank you, Lord. Dear Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross, despising the shame. You were the only one who could redeem us. You were the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you willingly took our sin. Thank you. We remember. Now let's eat together.
And he goes on to say in this same manner, he also took the cup after supper and saying, this new cup is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So Jesus says, if you you'll believe in me, you will have eternal life. You will be forgiven. Give me all of your sin, your weakness, your shortcoming. I'll take it. I already took it to a cross, and I give you now my righteousness. And this is the promise of God sealed in the blood of his son. Thank you, God, for the great promise of redemption, rescue, eternal life, and salvation. We worship you, Jesus.